Love, peace, unity, understanding, harmony amongst one another. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Rip, roaring, ready to go. I give you my sports talk podcast with entertaining value. I give you the most entertaining, thought-provoking podcast that you can listen to. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere where you listen to podcasts and you will not be disappointed. I give you football, basketball, baseball, college football, college basketball, UFC, MMA, and of course the love of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas. And sometimes I might go a little bit farther and talk about what else is happening in the world. Wendell's World in Sports, the most awesome podcast that you can listen to. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere where you listen to your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, Rip, Roaring, ready to go, good morning, good abend, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. K-Positive, me amigos, me llamo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Before I get into the good, the bad, and the Tom Brady of what's happening in the NFL, before I start getting into everything that I want to talk about concerning the world of sports, as always, as usual, i got to ask you the question because I really do care. What's up, man? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you doing everything are you doing everything that you need to do to make your world, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your state, to make your city, to make your area a better place to be through love, peace, unity, understanding? You listen, you learn from those of a different race, those of a different gender, those of a different political background, those who might love someone different than you, those who might worship another God than you, if they worship a God at all, those from the other side of the tracks, those from the other side of the globe, those with a different financial background. Are you dropping your privilege? Are you dropping your ignorance? Are you dropping your stereotypes? Are you dropping your hubris? And are you listening? Are you learning? Are you shutting up and listening to these people so we can go ahead and pass along the lessons of love and unity, respecting one another for who they are as a human being, nothing else. So maybe the society, maybe the world that we want to live in, which too late for our generation, your generation, my generation, too late, we're too ignorant, we're too selfish, we're too egotistical, we're too racist, all those things above, too late for us. But hopefully 10, 15, 20, 40, 60, 80 years from now, we can, our children and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-grandchildren, if the earth is still around, that we can live in a world where, again, people are... People are judged by who they are as far as being good people, loving people, respectful people, and nothing else. So let's see if we can go ahead and start today, Black History Month, the shortest month of the year, 
the coldest month of the year in some places in this country, but that's fine. We'll take what we can get. Black History Month. Let's make it Black History every second of every hour of every day of every month of every year, shall we? Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. You know what we're going to talk about today. Oh, by the way, before I get into the um, before I get into the uh, NFC and AFC and the games that people play and such, I just want you to uh, head on over to YouTube and I want you to go to my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports. I want you to go there and I want you to see my latest video talking about the AFC and the NFC Championship, complete with highlights, complete. With the guy that, no, when you watch this, no, I didn't get Denzel Washington uh, 15, 20 years ago to uh, do the podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't get Will Smith 15 years ago. No, that's actually me. No, I'm, no I'm, that's not some Hollywood hunk uh, sex symbol movie star. No, that's actually me on the screen giving you my thoughts and opinions about what's happening. So <laughs> anybody, any ladies between the ages of uh, 42 and 47 who are beautiful, single, and uh, ready to mingle? Yeah, like and subscribe that bad boy. You know what I'm saying? But seriously, go over to my um, go over to my YouTube page and uh, like, subscribe, do all those good things. All right, that's out of the way. Let me go ahead and speak about what is happening in terms of the Super Bowl is finally here. The Super Bowl is set. It's the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Los Angeles Rams. The Cincinnati Bengals, man. And I mentioned before on my YouTube channel episode of uh, the latest um podcast that i'm going to be speaking about right now there's always a team there is always a team man more than any other league and more than baseball more than the premier league more than any rugby league in australia or new zealand more than any cricket leagues out there in india more than the nba more than anything else canadian football anything anything else man football soccer mls the nfl they always have these Every season, there's always a team where you take a look, the prognosticators and everybody else, when we're talking about who's going to be division champs, who's going to win the AFC North, who's going to win the NFC West, who's going to win the NFC East, who's going to win the AFC South. And we sit there and we try to prognosticate, and Vegas has the lines of uh, overs and unders in terms of who's going to be doing what during the regular season and such. And, you know, for the most part, year after year, we always have a pretty decent idea of who's going to be the elite teams in the NFL and on the other end of the spectrum, who are going to be the bad teams in the NFL. And it never fails, man. Every single year, by the time that the season is over, there's always a team where we thought to ourselves, there is no way. If these guys win four or five games this season, it's almost a it's almost should be a situation where these guys need to be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie because the improvement of what they were before was so great that, yes, going from winning three to four games to maybe winning six or seven games is a monumental achievement for these teams. And those teams in which we have those expectations for, all of a sudden they're in the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. All of a sudden, they're considered one of the elite teams going into the playoffs and have an opportunity to make it to the uh, make it to the uh, Super Bowl. And we're sitting there saying, how in the hell did that happen? Because if you would have asked us in August or July, even after the Bengals drafted Jamar Chase, there is no way, no way, no how that anybody, anybody, I don't give a doggone if you're a Cincinnati Bengals lifelong fan. I don't care if you're the most irrational, unrealistic Cincinnati Bengals fan of all time. There is no way 
in August, in July, in June, at the end of last season, there is no way you were sitting there going, you know what? I think Cincinnati's going to make the Super Bowl. That's just, it wasn't happening. But every single year, that happens, man. And in later on in the podcast, it's almost like what the Phoenix Suns did for the NBA last season by making it to the NBA Finals and continuing what they're doing uh, this season. It gives hope to downtrodden franchises that it's almost like, man, if this team can do what they did, if this team now can sustain, uh, can uh, have that level of consistency, why not us? Why not us? As I'm speaking about teams like the Sacramento Kings, I'm speaking about teams like my Washington Wizards in the NBA. After watching what the Phoenix Suns did, it's almost like no matter how inept, how incompetent, how dreadful our situation might be right now, you never know. That's what the Phoenix Suns gave to the NBA and gave the downtrodden franchises who weren't doing anything. The Indiana Pacers, the Orlando Magic, the Sacramento Kings, the Washington Wizards, the, uh, what are, what's another bad team that's out there? The uh, Houston Rockets gave them hope. Well, in the NFL, that's the same thing with the Cincinnati Bengals. They have given the New York Jets. They have given the Detroit Lions. They have given the Washington Snyderskins. They have given these teams who are seem to be going nowhere hope that if the Cincinnati Bengals can get the job done with Mike Brown still running the show, why not us? The first example of that was with the Arizona Cardinals when they made it to the Super Bowl and almost beat the um, Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, uh, Bill Bidwell's son was running the squad, but uh, still, if a Bidwell who owns a football team could make it to the Super Bowl, hell, why not us? Example number two, Mike Brown. If a Mike Brown-owned team or franchise can make it to the NFL you know, championship game, win it, winning on the road twice, beating the number one seed, beating the Kansas City defending champions on the road to make it to the Super Bowl, hell, why can't us? Why cannot us? And that's exactly what the Cincinnati Bengals did. They gave hope and pulled off another upset on the road to make it to the Super Bowl for the first time since 19, what, 1988, 1989, when you had Sam Weish at the head coach and Boomer Esiason and James Woods and uh, that team. And I think they came within, what, 14, 15, 17, 23 seconds of uh, winning the Super Bowl when Joe Montana hit uh, John Taylor on the post to uh, win the football game for him, Bill Walsh's last game. So all those memories now for Cincinnati in terms of making it to the Super Bowl, they have the opportunity to right the wrong that they're going to be um, playing in the Super Bowl, 27-24 in overtime over Kansas City, coming back from 18 points down. Joe Burrow, 23 of 38, 250 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. T. Higgins caught six passes for 103 yards. Jamar Chase caught six passes for only 54 yards in the touchdown. You thought that maybe it might have been a misprint. If you didn't see the game and you're just listening to this podcast and finding out the score and finding out the game for the first time, that, wait a minute, you're going to try to tell me that the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Kansas City football team in the AFC Championship game and Jamar Chase, the guy who it seemed like the last time that the Bengals and the uh, Kansas City football team played that, uh, you know, he had like, you know, 15 catches for 475 yards and 15 touchdowns. You're going to try to tell me that Cincinnati still won this game despite the fact that Jamar Chase didn't have a monster game? Yes, indeed. You're going to try to tell me that Joe Burrow 
23 of 38 for 250 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. You're going to try to tell me that stat line beat Patrick Mahomes at home with the opportunity for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and those fellas to go back to the Super Bowl for the fourth consecutive time. The only feat that was uh, that's ever been in terms of going to the Super Bowl that many years consecutively was the Buffalo Bills. You're going to try to tell me that Joe Burrow didn't go Baltimore Ravens during the regular season as far as stats is concerned to uh, get Cincinnati into the Super Bowl? Nope. No, he did not. You know why? Because it wasn't so much Joe Burrow. It wasn't so much Jamar Chase. It wasn't so much Joe Mixon. Let's give the game ball, man. Let's give a high five. Let's hear it for the boys on the defense in terms of being the MVP of the game in terms of the film, the movie, the blockbuster, which stars the Cincinnati Bengals making it to the Super Bowl. The stars, the Denzel Washingtons, the Tom Hanks, the Michael Douglas, the Morgan Freemans of this fantastic film called Cincinnati Goes Back to the Super Bowl stars the defense from Cincinnati because they shut down Kansas City in the second half, really got into their heads. Patrick Mahomes played one of his worst halves in football of his career. You could probably say with everything that was stacked up, with everything in terms of the meaning of this game, that Patrick Mahomes had his worst game or maybe his worst uh, half in his NFL career, his Hall of Fame NFL career, his ever-building, soon-to-be, hopefully, one of the best quarterbacks of all time type of uh, resume that he's putting together against Cincinnati in the second half with plenty of opportunities for them to uh, put the Bengals away. But Patrick Mahomes didn't get it done because of what the Cincinnati Bengals defense did. Who would have thought, especially after that epic game against Buffalo the week before, that we would be saying that concerning the Cincinnati Bengals. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us speaking about the Cincinnati flipping Bengals going to the Super Bowl, first time since 1989. So, man, you were watching that game, and it was a situation where it was like, man, you know what, Cincinnati's going to get blown out, man. It was a good season. They beat Tennessee, but yeah, you know, Tennessee was kind of fraudulent because they played in the AFC South, and in the AFC South, you have the advantage uh, playing against the Houston Texans twice, and you have the advantage of playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars twice, and even though I think Tennessee lost to both of them, didn't they, during the regular season? But yet and still, you know, it was a situation where the number one seed, you wouldn't call Tennessee dominant, especially with Derrick Henry missing a majority of the season, then coming back from the playoffs, and you could tell that he looked rusty, running for like 68 yards on 20 carries. So, you know, putting the ball in the hands of Ryan Tannehill to make plays. We we saw that that wasn't, if you're taking a look at Tannehill, he's not the quarterback to be a quarterback, a franchise quarterback on the number one seat in any AFC or NFC team. So it was a good win, 19-16. Burrow survived, all of those nice things, wonderful way to go. But now you're playing the Kansas City football team. Now you're playing Patrick Mahomes. Now you're playing this team which is destined to win the Super Bowl after the quote-unquote, best game I've ever seen, an instant classic, the best sporting event I might have ever seen in that game last week against the Buffalo Bills, and they're going to be at home, and Arrowhead is going to be rocking and all these type of things, and Patrick Mahomes gets out to a 21-3 lead. This game's over, man. Get out of here. Let's kind of move on. They didn't fold. 
they didn't fold and they got it done. And again, it wasn't some in the second half, the offense just got clicking and Jamar Chase became unstoppable and Joe Burrow caught fire or something. That wasn't any, any of that stuff at all. It was a situation where the Cincinnati defense just said, you know what, we're going to take over this game and we're going to frustrate, we're going to confuse and mentally break down one of the strongest mental quarterbacks in the game today in a Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid and a should be and you know should be head coach in the NFL only if it wasn't for the color of his skin, Eric Bieniemy. So it was a fantastic, fantastic deal by the Cincinnati Bengals, which of course is going to lead to the inevitable discussion where we talk, speak about this game as in, well, what really happened? Was it the situation where Kansas City choked the game away? Or was it the situation where Cincinnati won the game? We're going to have that discussion because it's like, man, this is Kansas City. This is Patrick Mahomes. This is them going to the Super Bowl for the fourth time. This is the best team in the AFC going on now for four years. There's no way. In an 18-point lead, scoring on the first three drives of the game, the defense playing so much better, even though they were leaking oil against the Buffalo Bills the other week, the fact that, you know, they're going up against this pass uh, protecting inept offensive line with the Cincinnati Bengals. There's no way, man. There's no way they're going to come back. So, of course, you're going to say they must have given the game away. And I think it's all about the narrative because I think the narrative is a little bit sexier when, or the discussion or, you know, the, the talking points are a little bit sexier and a little bit more interesting when you say, you know what, it was the Kansas City football team giving it away. Patrick Mahomes chokes. You know, that's a more sexier title. That that will get you more clicks. Mahomes chokes as Kansas City gives game away with the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. And if you take a look at all of the success that Patrick Mahomes has had as he's been when now in his fourth year at the quarterback, when you're speaking about his first year under center that he took the uh, football team from Kansas City to the AFC Championship game where they lost to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Then the second year, they go all the way and win the Super Bowl. Then the third year, they go all the way only to lose the Super Bowl because they had a offensive line that resembled the Cincinnati Bengals when it comes to uh, protecting the quarterback. So for this fourth year, after everything that Kansas City went through, after the doubts, after the slow starts, all of a sudden now, they go ahead and get their mojo back. All of a sudden now they get the answers to the test on how to decimate a team from the offensive standpoint. They're coming off that epic performance against the Buffalo Bills where again, it was the greatest game that's ever been played. So when we're speaking about putting it into a narrative, when we're speaking about putting it into NFL films, when we're speaking about putting it in the vault and reliving and remembering that game in that season, in that moment in NFL history, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now, we can go ahead and say, man, that game between Buffalo and Kansas City, it was awesome, and it led to Kansas City, a team that was up and down all year, a team that faced diversity. Now, guess what? That was the launching point for those guys to win the 2022 NFL uh, championship or that Super Bowl. And depending upon what happens in terms of what the career of Patrick Mahomes is going to be as quarterback for the Kansas City football team, you can bake that into the narrative. Because if Patrick Mahomes falls off the cliff, we could say, man, whoever would have thought that that season where they had that epic comeback and that epic performance in the divisional round against the Buffalo Bills, then they went ahead and won the Super Bowl. 
Who would have thought after the first four years of Patrick Mahomes' career, three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl wins, that that would have been as good as it got. That would have been the mountaintop for Patrick Mahomes. Or it could have been a situation where where we're speaking about who's the greatest quarterback of all time and Tom Brady and Dan Marino and John Elway and Patrick Mahomes and Fran Tarkington and Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana and Warren Moon and such. When we're starting to debate who's the greatest and it might come down to either Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. It's going to be situations like this where, man, you're going to need you're going to need that. You're going to need that bullet in the chamber, the fire, if you're going to be going up against the GOAT as of right now, Tom Brady. So everything was written to say, man, this was unbelievable. So with all of that hanging in the balance, it's just so much more sexier to say that, you know what, doggone it, it was the Kansas City football team throwing this game away. Excuse me for a second. I got to sneeze. <laughs> Bless me. So, man, it was just, that's, that's just the, that's just a better narrative to say. But because it's Cincinnati, because they lost to Cincinnati, no one's speaking about how Kansas City choked away an opportunity, a strong opportunity to uh, make it to the Super Bowl four years ago against the New England Patriots because they're playing the New England Patriots, because they were going up against Tom Brady, because they were going up against Bill Belichick. So when was the last time New England won a game because, quote-unquote, the other team choked. What was it? Maybe Seattle in the Super Bowl? Atlanta in the Super Bowl? But how many times are you going to discredit or discount a comeback by the GOAT, Tom Brady, in those situations? You're going to be more lenient to say it was an unbelievable performance by Brady and Bill Belichick does it again and blah, 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 rather than to say, Man, you know what? Those guys choking gave Belichick and Brady and the New England Patriots another opportunity to get that dynasty even stronger. So when Kansas City four years ago lost to the uh, New England Patriots, oh yeah, that was the narrative. So it's so much easier to say Kansas City lost that football game, New England won it, when you're saying New England dynasty, Brady, Belichick, more than it is to say, yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals, who last year won, what, two games, three games, four games last season with a second-year quarterback who missed a portion of his rookie year because of a devastating knee injury he suffered against the Washington Snyderskins. I mean, this is a situation where it's just not sexy to say the Cincinnati Bengals won the game. The Cincinnati Bengals showed heart. They showed metal. They showed determination. They showed fire and they showed acumen to make the changes needed to not only get back into the game against a heavy favorite like the Kansas City football team but to win the game you can't say something like that you can't go with a narrative like that uh-uh. no no as I mentioned before on my podcast on my YouTube channel man if this was the Cleveland Browns if this was a historic franchise like the Cleveland Browns who did what the Cincinnati Bengals did Man, we'd be lauding over the Bengals, excuse me, like over the Browns like it's nobody's business because of who that franchise is and what their history is and the stories that could be written and the narrative that could be written. 
you know, for the first time since 1964, the Cleveland Browns have an opportunity to win a championship. The dog pound is going crazy. Jim Brown is going nuts. Brian Seiden is going crazy. Sam Bertigliano is losing his mind. Ohio native Bernie Kosar is dancing in the streets. I mean, all of these things, all of these narratives. They couldn't do it with Bill Belichick. They couldn't do it with Nick Saban at the defensive coordinator. They couldn't do it this. They couldn't do it there. They couldn't do it with Marty Schottenheimer telling this man to try to get the glean. The John Elway defeated of all of the history that has been baked in since the last time Jim Brown ran over the Baltimore Colts for the Browns to win that championship. Art Modell moving the team from from uh, Baltimore to Cleveland and, you know, excuse me, uh, excuse me, um, um, yeah, uh, Art Modell moving the team from Cleveland to Baltimore and then changing the name to the Ravens and then the Ravens having the success that they have. And, oh, my goodness gracious, there is all of this material. There is all of this meat on the bone that you could use to put the narrative to say, same situation, one team instead of being Cincinnati is Cleveland, the other team being Cincinnati, as being um, Kansas City. Who won the game? Who choked on the game? Who snatched defeat from the jaw to victory? Who showed grit? Who showed determination? Who showed a never gave die attitude? Who showed it was destined for them to win? With this, man, you could make in terms of it was Cleveland, man. You could be going to Hollywood and making a movie on this stuff, man. No one cares about the Cincinnati Bengals, though. So it's easy to discount what they did to say, well, it just had to be had to be um, Kansas City choking the game away. Uh, don't fall for that, man. Don't fall for that nonsense. It was a situation where Cincinnati did what they had to do. And it was also a situation where they got into their heads. Now, if you can say, well, they got into their heads and Kansas City kind of lost their composure and everything, so that's a sign of choking. Well, there's a reason Kansas City all of a sudden abandoned the running game and just went to pass, pass, pass. There was a reason why all of the tenants and the discipline during the regular season, which got them from a team that was on the outside looking in and being one of the, dis the disappointments of the season early on to being one of the teams that was favored, the heavy favored, to not only make it back to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. There were a lot of things in terms of what the Kansas City football team did to revert back to what they were trying to do before instead of going for the singles, singles and the doubles to get runs across the board. All of a sudden now, they were trying to hit home runs once Cincinnati got back into the game and tied it up. All of a sudden now, Patrick Mahomes on one play was trying to make atonement for the interceptions that he threw. And he was holding the ball way too long. And you saw the discord and you saw the argument and you saw the frustration starting to happen on the Kansas City sideline between, what was it, McCall Hardiman and, um, and uh, Tyreek Hill. So all of these things was a symbol of, oh my goodness gracious, the Cincinnati Bengals dropping eight in the coverage and the Kansas City football team saying, I don't care if you're going to drop eight in the coverage. We're going to we're gonna go ahead and try to uh, do our same thing anyway. Ho, 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 ho. Because all of a sudden, a couple of uh, doubts started creeping into their mind. All of a sudden, Kansas City got a little bit nervous. Choke, choke. Wendell, wouldn't that be a sign of a choke? Wouldn't that be a sign of Kansas City melting down, choking, mental weakness, all of these type of things? I say it was a matter of Cincinnati being the reason why those things are happening. And if that's going to happen, then you have to give all credit to the Cincinnati Bengals on that deal. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah, so just taking a look, man. 
Eight, uh, Kansas City was in complete control. Opening the game, they won on an 11-play, 84-yard drive. Mahomes TD pass to Tyreek Hill in the end zone, right side for a touchdown. After the Bengals got a field goal to make it to 7-3. Third down, Mahomes escaped the rush multiple times with dueling a whirling dervish. Moving to his right, looked downfield, hit Travis Kelsey for a touchdown, 14-3. Then the very next possession with 5.04 left to go in a half. Mahomes threw another touchdown, this one to McCole Hardman to make it 21-3. And you were thinking, ball game, that's it. And at that point, Mahomes was 18-21, 220 yards, three touchdowns in the first half. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off an of old Lone Ranger and you don't mess around with Patrick Mahomes. Write that down. Write that down because that co- that's the column I'm going to start writing at halftime. I don't even have to wait till this game is over what the scribes and the columnists were saying. I can, I can get this story out by the end of the third quarter, baby, because I can talk about the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and I can talk about Kansas City overcoming uh, some difficulties and obstacles during the regular season. I can talk about the steadfastness and the even-keeledness of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy coming through and the devastating uh, wide-receiving duo from the wide-receiver tight end position of Tyreek Hill and uh, Travis Kelsey and, of course, Patrick Mahomes. What does it mean for the legend? What does it mean for the resume? What does it mean short and long term for Patrick Mahomes to have this type of season, to have this type of playoff to where he's now in the Super Bowl for his fourth straight year matching only Jim Kelly in the modern era as a quarterback who made it to the Super Bowl that many times. You could start, people were starting to write that column, starting to put that on their blogs, starting to uh, kind of get that together for a sports talk segment right there. 18, as I mentioned before, 18 or 21, 220 yards, three touchdowns, fourth straight championship game with three touchdown passes from Patrick Mahomes. Legend, Brady never did that. Uh Uh-huh, 25 years old. How many championships did Tom Brady get when he was uh, 25 years old like Patrick Mahomes? Four years into the league. How many championships did Patrick Mahomes does Patrick Mahomes have compared to Tom Brady? Remember, Brady had Belichick. Remember the first time that Brady won a Super Bowl against uh, St. Louis? It was more about that defense than it was more about him. Check the stats. Check his stats. In the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. Blee, blee, blee. Blue, blue, blue. All that stuff. All that stuff was being written, man. At the end of the first half. Or near the end of the first half. Even when Samadre Piran took a 41-yard screen pass and took it to the end zone with 105 left to go to make it uh, 21 to 10. It was okay. I mean, it's Buffalo. The game against Buffalo, 105, that's an eternity for Kansas City to score and put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands, right? With a minute and five left to go, that's child's play, man. We got a field goal with 13 seconds left to go. What do you think we're going to do with a minute five? Let me show you. Drove 66 yards before using his final timeout with 13 seconds left. So you're thinking, all right. All right, no problem here. We're going to get, at the very least, we're going to get ourselves a field goal. We'll be cool. We'll be fine. We'll be hip. We'll be good, right? But then Tyreek Hill, after Tyreek Hill drew a pass interference in the end zone, giving the ball at the one-yard line with nine seconds to go, what happened? What happened when it was already, people were speaking about 28-10, 28-10. Here we go, final nail in the coffin. 
after Mahomes throw away, they face a second and goal from the one with five seconds left and no timeouts. What happened? They had a run pass option with an inside zone run, slant to Travis Kelsey, and a wing route to Hill, who was in motion on the play, left side. Mahomes gave it to him. They threw it to Hill backwards, forced him to uh, come to a near stop before running forward. And by the time he turned around, um, Cincinnati defenders were like, hello. Took him, uh, you know, prevented him from getting in the end zone. That's it. That's it. And you saw Patrick Mahomes in desperation, even though they didn't have a timeout, signaling for the timeout. And it seemed like after that play, it was like, eh, I still think Kansas City's going to win. But if they don't, mark that down in terms of that play right there. And it seemed like, I don't know, it just seemed like the momentum really swung that much for the second half. Because in the first half, Mahomes, as I mentioned before, 18 to 21, 220 yards, three touchdowns, right? Third quarter, three of nine, 17 yards and an interception. They started pressing a little bit. He finished the game, speaking of Mahomes, he finished the game 26 of 39 for 275, three touchdowns and two interceptions but it just wasn't the same Patrick Holmes that we thought it was going to be in terms of wait a minute wait a minute what is going on here we saw a little desperation when he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off in the backfield trying to make that big play trying to uh, go ahead and make that spectacular play all of a sudden now it's like what is going on what is happening how can he be holding the ball five six sometimes seven seconds looking for a receiver to get open what's going on down there Cincinnati's defense dominated the second half overtime. As I mentioned before, dropped eight in coverage and said, if you're not going to run the football, cool. Try to uh, go ahead and, and uh, throw against eight defenders uh, looking for you to pass. And Cincinnati outscored them 24-3 after being down 21-3 to in the second quarter. Ball game. Thank you very much for coming. And as I mentioned before, play after play after play, it just seemed like Kansas City was all out of shorts. If you take a look at the second half possessions for the uh, football team from Kansas City, Missouri, who was a professional football team, five plays, 16 yards. These are the second half possessions for Kansas City. Five plays, 16 yards, punt. Second possession, five plays, 17 yards, punt. Third possession, two plays, Negative seven yards and then the interception, which uh, set up a score from the Bengals. The next possession, you're thinking after that interception, Mahomes is going to come down and do some things and get and right the ship, right? After that uh, possession in which he threw that interception, three plays, minus two yards, and a punt. The possession after that, three plays, minus four yards, and a punt. So we're taking a look at five possessions in which they ran a total of 18 plays for 34 yards. Kansas City did not choke. Cincinnati got in their heads. Got in their heads. So it was uh, it was something else, man. It was really something else. Give it up to Joe Burrow. And that's a signal of a good team, man. The fact that, uh, you know, two different weeks playing on the road against teams that you weren't supposed to be beating, two of the best teams, Record-wise, in the AFC, this was a situation where it was like, hey, man, you know what? Against the uh, against both Tennessee and Kansas City, we won really by playing non-Cincinnati Bengal type of football if you're speaking about what they need to do to win. Joe Burrow wasn't passing it all around the yard. 
Jamar Chase wasn't uh, making spectacular plays. That offense wasn't putting 31, 35, 38, 45 points on the board. Joe Burrow wasn't passing for 450, 490, uh, 490, 375. He didn't have a Josh Allen type of two-game performance where he threw nine touchdown passes and no interceptions and the offense was damn near flawless. Uh Uh-uh. They won ugly. They won a grit and grimy type of game in Tennessee, basically beat the Titans at their own game. Despite the fact that Joe Burrow was sacked nine times, they found a way to win. Then they go to Kansas City after being down 21-3 to come back and win that game in overtime and hold the best quarterback of our generation so far and the best team of the past five years to, uh, to uh, what, to uh, two field goals? or uh, Yeah, two field goals. Impressive. Very impressive. That's not luck. That's not being lucky twice when you can make that happen. Now, if you want to say these guys are on a roll and these guys have the momentum and, you know, they're in the groove right now for this period of time, that's that's fine. You can say that if you want to. But um, I'm telling you right now, man, the Cincinnati Bengals, if you're a Los Angeles Ram fan, Armando Vasquez and everybody out there in L.A. who are Los Angeles Rams fans, because we know the multitude of Los Angeles Chargers fans, right? Right. So the Rams fans, who uh, are up there screaming and shouting and singing a Randy Newman song, I Love L.A., because they go on the assumption that there ain't no way that the Cincinnati Bungles, the Mike Brown Cincinnati Bengals, are going to beat us. Be forewarned, my good man, my good lady, my good friends. Be forewarned. So, Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, the Cincinnati Bengals, man. Moving on, moving on, moving on, and make no mistake about it. They earned it. They deserved it. No one gave it to them. The Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl. They earned that bad boy. and sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us i can't help myself i love doing my podcast with me and nobody else wendell's world and sports special dedication 
I'm going to be playing for the, the Jordan music, for my get down music, for my dance to the rhythm music, the stuff that I'm going to be playing for this podcast. I'm going to dedicate it to a 10th grader up in the Mesquite, Nevada. The reason why is because she came at me in terms of when I was playing my music, she was like, hey, Mr. Wallace, I, you know, I listen to that old stuff too. You know, I listen to uh, the Beatles and I listen to the Beach Boys and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, hey, fantastic. That's awesome. So I said, let me let me get your opinion on something. You know, you know, yesterday by the Beatles, right? And I played it on my Spotify. And she was like, yeah, of course I know that. I got it on my list too, this, that, and the other. I said, well, let me, uh, let me get your opinion on this version of yesterday. And I played the Marvin Gaye uh, version of yesterday. And she was like, yeah, it's pretty good, this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, do you know who the guy is that sings this song? She was like, no. I was like, well, he sings such songs as Heard It Through the Grapevine and What's Going On. And he had a classic album in terms of speaking about police brutality and discrimination. And it was one of the more influential albums of all time and this, that, and the other. And she looked at me like I was speaking Martian. She was like, nope, 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 nope. And I said, you've never heard of the artist. You've never heard of the legend. You've never heard of the trailblazing musical pioneer of the past 60, 70 years, Marvin Gaye. She goes, ah, Mr. Wallace, look, I got to be honest with you. You know, the music that I listened to, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and such, I mean, it's like more music that's like more people would listen to and more people would like and it's more well-known and, you know, the Beatles and others. I mean, I just listen to artists who are like, you know, more well-known than what you play. Game on. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to try to tell me that Marvin Gaye is not someone of, when you're speaking about music, when you're speaking about music over the past 60, 70 years, you're going to try to tell me that Marvin Gaye is not uh, influential, is not consequential, is not uh, historical? He goes, no, not really. No, I never heard of him. And, you know, so no, not really. I was like, <laughs> I've got to educate you. Oh, I've got to educate you. So I was like, so you don't, so you don't know about some of the great artists that came out of uh, Motown? And like again, she looked at me like I had 16 heads and 18 fingers. She's like, what are you talking about? Mo- never heard of Motown. Never heard of it. Game on. So I'm going to inundate my wonderful, fabulous sophomore buddy about what uh, Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross and the Supremes. I shouldn't say Diana Ross and the Supremes, but uh, what... Uh, the Four Tops and The Temptations and Marvin Gaye and Martha and the Vandellas and The Supremes and Mary Wells and all that good music and try to explain to her that, yes, this music is much more consequential, much more historical, and much more impactful in terms of the everyday of what you uh, do and what I do than uh, anything else that you're listening to, much more than the Beach Boys and, oh, yes, surprise, surprise, even more than the Beatles, so... That is my special dedication in terms of my bumper music is concerned. So there we go. At the end of that story. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us getting back to what's happening in the championship games, the conference championship games. I mentioned before about the Cincinnati Bengals, and I mentioned before about their victory over the Kansas City football team. And you know what I thought of when that kick in overtime went through and Cincinnati won that game? I said to myself, hmm, I wonder from those, I wonder those from a week ago who were shouting, screaming, and going nuts about the Buffalo-Kansas City game in terms of 
this is the greatest game I've ever seen, and this is the greatest game of any sport I've ever seen, and this is unbelievable, this is awesome, blah, blah, blah. What does it mean now? Because both of those combatants who played are no longer in the playoff picture or not going to be playing for the Super Bowl. So long term, yes, it's always going to be a great game. Yes, we're always going to be speaking about it. Yes, we're always going to look back in fondness of how great Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is. That's not the point. The point is, is that now, since Kansas City is eliminated from the playoffs, where do we put that in the annals of greatest games of all time and all this kind of stuff? I mean, um, what is going to be the what is going to be the um, level of where we're going to be putting it at? Now, just like last week when I said that you know what Kansas City could go ahead and win the Super Bowl, and I still don't think we could give it justification in terms of uh, talking about it with the greatest game of all time and really putting it into uh, pl- putting it to, into its proper perspective and where where the where this game should rank. You got to give it time to marinate. You got to give it time to you know, take a look from years and years and maybe decades in terms of where this game stands. And not just with games that are going to be in the future, but, you know, even the game, the Sea of Hands games in 1972 or 1974 between the Oakland Raiders and the Miami Dolphins, the immaculate reception of 1972 between the Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the 1971 AFC Championship divisional round between the Kansas City then Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins when you're speaking about even you know equating them or comparing them to the Super Bowl such as Atlanta for or, or New England coming back against Atlanta and the Malcolm Butler game Seattle blowing the opportunity against the New England Patriots and the importance of Super Bowl three with Baltimore losing to the New York Jets and Joe Namath in the guarantee game followed up with the Kansas City victory over Minnesota in Super Bowl four, and we're speaking about the game that the uh, Cincinnati Bengals were in the last time they were in the Super Bowl where they lost to the San Francisco 49ers all of these great games the Holy Roller the Joe Montana pass to Dwight Clark all these all these games that we're going to be speaking about in terms of where does where does the last week's game between Buffalo and Kansas City rank takes a hit now that Kansas City is not uh, going to the championship. It's not going to be going to the Super Bowl. So that's the one of the things I thought about in terms of does it minimize, not minimize, minimize is too strong of a word, but how much does it take away the importance and the greatness and your thoughts and feelings? If you really did think that this was one of the greatest, if not the greatest game ever, how, you know, what, where does it rank now? Because the recency bias, you go from one week to the next, what does it mean now? Especially, say, for instance, if you're a Kansas City football fan, where would you put that game last week moving forward? Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So those are just some of the things I was thinking about after that game was over between Kansas City and Cincinnati. So now let's go ahead and let's speak about the NFC Championship game, shall we? Because the Rams are staying home and going to the Super Bowl all at the same time, baby. On one On the one year. Aaron Andrews couldn't get that out of her gap, couldn't she? One year, the one-year anniversary of the trade with the Los Angeles Rams, Matthew Stafford led three straight fourth-quarter scoring drives to erase a 10-point deficit against the San Francisco 49ers. All-pro receiver Cooper Cup caught a pair of touchdown passes, one coming during that late rally. Back to you, Troy. Aaron, would you please shut up? Okay, but one more thing. Aaron Darnold helped the Rams slam the door shut after Matt Gay 
kicked a 30-yard field goal to break a 17-17 tie. One under two minutes remaining. Great, Aaron. Shut up and go away. Hold on, hold on. The Rams needed their own rally after trailing 17-7 entering the fourth quarter. I had an opportunity to shut the... <laughs> shut her up, will you? So you got the most of that. The uh, Los Angeles Rams mentioned before coming back from 10 points to uh, get the victory. And now moving on, it gets a really tough San Francisco 49er football team. It was... Uh, it was a situation where, and I talked about it on my YouTube episode that was speaking about this, it was a situation where um, every move for the every move for the Los Angeles Rams, man, that paid off. Matthew Stafford. Very rarely do you see a team that goes. I don't know if you want to even call it a quote-unquote dream team. I don't even know if you want to say what the Rams did were trying to build a dream team. But a lot of times when these franchises make these big acquisitions, bringing in, you know, quote-unquote superstars, best of the best, or accumulate them over a period of time, because you're taking a look at some of the big moves that the Los Angeles Rams have made over the last uh, couple of years, whether you're speaking about making that trade for Jalen Ramsey getting him out of Jacksonville, making the trade to bring in Matthew Stafford and jettisoning Jared Goff. If you're speaking about bringing in Vaughn Miller, if you're speaking about bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. and some other moves, it wasn't like all in one fell swoop. It wasn't a situation where in one offseason, they quote unquote won the offseason with a bunch of free agent acquisitions. But very rarely do you see quote unquote big time moves to bolster the rosters, especially when you're speaking about at some of the key positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, defensive end and such, works so well or finally gets to be paid off in the way that the Rams did in them going to the Super Bowl when you're speaking about uh, Matthew Stafford. Jared Goff wouldn't have won that game yesterday. And yes, hey man, Matthew Stafford has his warts. Matthew Stafford had his ups and downs. Matthew Stafford started this year as the MVP candidate, and then midway through the season, we were speaking about openly people on the Shannon the Skip show and First Take and the Mike Greenberg show and others were speaking about, is Matthew Stafford the guy that's going to be able to get it done for the LA Rams, all this kind of stuff. Then, you know, what he did, the Rams don't win that game again if they had Jared Goff. They, they just don't. Sean McVay is not making the play calls, is not putting the trust in a quarterback if it's Jared Goff for the Rams instead of Matthew Stafford. And, hey, man, you're speaking about catching a break. You're speaking about the Cincinnati Bengals or the Kansas City football team, you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. If we want to have that discussion, if we want to have that argument, man, what about the San Francisco 49ers? A Jakarski Jakarski tariff. You know, dropping a would-be interception, extending the Rams' drive that resulted in a 40-yard uh, field goal to tie the game at 17. I mean, you're speaking about an opportunity. You're speaking about a great opportunity. Man, over these past couple of years with the San Francisco 49ers, if it wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo missing uh, Emmanuel Sanders on a go-route in the Super Bowl that would have given them the lead and in all actuality a really good chance to win that bad boy, that missed opportunity, or whether you're speaking about uh, Tarrant missing the Interception, which would basically look like like a punt that was, uh, you know, that, that was right to him, and he dropped it. San Francisco 49ers, man, they must be feeling a little bit snake bit right now 
So, you know, that, 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 but, but yet still, despite that should have been interception, didn't, didn't phase the play calling of Sean McVay when it came to attacking the San Francisco 49ers secondary. And it didn't affect Matthew Stafford and him being gun shy of him not wanting to uh, make a mistake. So, look, before Sunday, the Rams had been 0-14 under McVay when trailing by 10 or more points entering the fourth quarter, including the playoffs, and including 0-4 this season. But yet and still, in a game like this where, man, it was tantamount, tantamount that the Rams went ahead and get this done, they uh, remained aggressive, and uh, they're, they're going to the Super Bowl. So, you know, Matthew Stafford, 31 of 45, 337 yards, two touchdown passes, 0-3 in the playoffs over his 12th, first 12 seasons with the Detroit Lions. And again, when Stafford was struggling just a little bit midway early in the, or midway through the uh, NFL season, they brought that up in terms of, man, you know, a guy who's never won a playoff game, are you sure this is going to be the guy that's going to be able to lead a team to the playoffs? This was even before the season-ending injury to Robert Woods. This was even before the acquisitions uh, Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham Jr., but he got it done. Speaking of Odell Beckham Jr., nine passes caught, 11 targets, 113 yards. The first game with the Rams of having 100 yards receiving, he was big, he was huge, he was awesome. He played a huge role. Vaughn Miller, him and uh, Donald sacked uh, or combined for seven QB pressures on Sunday, all in the second half and all those pressures. Garoppolo was one of seven. So he played a uh, very big role in that. So all of these free agent acquisitions in which the assumption was, hey, man, if all of these pan out, even if it's like 80 to 85% panning out, they don't even need to hit a home run. If they could just hit a hard double or a triple, the Rams are going to be in great shape to uh, go to the Super Bowl. They're now in the Super Bowl because those guys got it done. It wasn't a matter of Odell Beckham Jr. showing out in the regular season against the Tennessee Titans or the two games against the San Francisco 49ers or the game against the Green Bay Packers and such. It was a situation where, especially with Robert Woods going down, the responsibilities for him changing. Now, it's a situation where, yeah, man, we're going to need you. We're going to need you to be a big, big player. And against the San Francisco 49ers in the game, he needed to be big. OBJ was huge. Vaughn Miller again. Coming over from Denver, we didn't know how much juice does he have left. Man, just go ahead and just sack the quarterback. Fuck it. Don't worry about the run. Don't worry about any of that other shit. Just sack the quarterback. Put pressure on the quarterback. That's what that's what we're bringing you here for. And matching up with uh, Donald, got it done. Got it done. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Los Angeles Rams are going to the Super Bowl. What's your thoughts and feelings about the San Francisco 49ers? I'll get back to the Rams in a second. What about the 49ers, man? Everybody talks about Garoppolo, Garoppolo, Garoppolo. Yeah, Garoppolo is kind of like in the same position where the Rams were with Jared Goff. You can win with Garoppolo, but you better have some mega pieces around him. You better have a strong at defense. You better have some playmakers on offense, George Kittle, Debo Samuels. You better have some stuff around him to uh, do a thing because if it's, if it's going to be a situation, we, we, we saw the key with Shanahan all throughout the season, right? They want to run the ball, what, 30 to 35 times a game or something like that, which means that, A, they want to establish the run. 
They wanted to establish the line of scrimmage, but it's also a situation where we don't want to have Jimmy Garoppolo be the guy that's going to dictate whether we win football games or not because he's not that type of guy. I'm not saying that he's a scrub. I'm not saying that he's a backup. I think that he is a starter in the NFL when you're thinking about, when you're talking about, when you're discussing, or there are 30 more quarterbacks better than him. Wouldn't say yes. I don't think that, I think that there's 18. I think there's 20. I think there might be 21 or 22 quarterbacks that are better than him. They're all starting. But I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a starting quarterback in this league. And for those who want to argue, well, how can you say he's a starting quarterback when you just said that, you know, you basically need a dream team around him to uh, have him be successful. Well, there's very few quarterbacks that really don't need that. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need that, but yet still we saw that, you know, in some cases he might need that. Tom Brady might not need as much, but he needs that. You know, every everybody needs something around him. You know, you can't go out there like with Archie Manning had against the uh, Saints when he was out there playing in his heyday. You can't go out there and have Jim Plunkett start his career with the New England Patriots and have him be successful. No, you're, you're going to need some talent around him. Now, how much talent? We don't know when it comes to, as I mentioned before, guys like Patrick Mahomes, guys like Josh Allen, guys like... Um, a few years ago, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and these guys. Yeah, these guys are awesome. Yeah, these guys are going to be able to uh, win you championships. And they're going to be the main reason why they're going to win you championships, even though Josh Allen hasn't done it yet. But, man, you need to put something around him. Dan Marino was one of the greatest, purest passers of all time. How many championships did he win? Zero. I mean, when did John Elway win his Super Bowl? Oh, when he got himself a running game. Thank you very much. So my point is is that, yeah, Garoppolo needs some work, needs some help to win, but yet and still he still is a starting quarterback, which makes the decision to let him go, which the San Francisco 49ers are going to do, it has to be that way. Because just like Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo can win you some games, but he's not going to be the reason why you're going to win a big game, whether you need him to do that for an entire game or maybe just a half Maybe just a quarter. Hell, maybe even just for a couple of drives. So, moving forward now, I guess this is a situation, look, with salary cap and everything else, injury and such, hey man, there's no guarantee that you're going to get back to the position that you are before, even if you do bring the whole game back together. But for the San Francisco 49ers moving forward, it's now an opportunity to go ahead and start the Trey Lance era in San Francisco and say that, you know what? <laughs> We're just as close of winning the Super Bowl with Lance at the quarterback than with Garoppolo. I mean, we're, sp- we're speaking about at a time where quarterbacks need to be mobile. They need to be able to do some things and make some plays with their feet, with their athleticism. They don't need to be Lamar Jackson. They don't need to be, you know, Josh Allen in terms of stature mixed with athleticism, but they can't be Garoppolo. His style is out of date if you are truly looking to win yourself a Super Bowl or be consistent with them uh, winning a Super Bowl. So, you know, I mean, Garoppolo's going to get another job somewhere. I think that he's a pretty good placeholder in terms of moving forward. Is he better than uh, Taylor Heineke for Washington? Yeah. I mean, I would take him for one year until we develop a quarterback. For the New York Jets, would he be someone that you would want on their team to kind of press and puts in competition into uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, if you're the Houston Texans, if you're one of those type of squads, yeah, you would want someone like Jimmy Garoppolo 
as your starting quarterback for a year or two until you get yourself, hopefully, your franchise quarterback that can elevate the team. But um, as of right now with San Francisco, that's going to be Trey Lance. You don't use all that draft capital on Trey Lance to have him come back and sit on the bench for another year, even though, hey, Aaron Rodgers, how many years did he sit on the bench behind Brett Favre before he got in and started doing the thing? Worked out for Green Bay and uh, Rodgers pretty well, didn't it? So that's uh, San Francisco's dilemma. And John Lynch and Mike Shanahan or Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan, I guess those two will get together in their private moments and say, Dad, what do you think? Well, son, this is what I think. But uh, moving forward, that seems to be the direction of the San Francisco 49ers. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But getting back to the Los Angeles Rams. Now, what does this mean for this team moving forward? Because after the euphoria wears off, and after all the hip-hip hooraying and high-fiving and boogie-bibing and all this kind of stuff wears down, now all of a sudden, man, it's no time to exhale. And I'm not talking about Whitney Houston's film either. There's no time to exhale. It's time now to say, man, you know what? There's still lots and lots of pressure on these guys. It would have been catastrophic if those guys would have lost to the Bengals. I don't know what would have happened. Sean McVay's seat would have gotten a lot hotter. All of these things. It's not hot, but what I'm saying, you lose to the San Francisco 49ers after making all of these trades and all of these acquisitions, and you can't get out of the uh, NFC while playing the NFC Championship game at home to a team that you feel is inferior in the San Francisco 49ers that have Jimmy Garoppolo starting as your at their quarterback, and you can't beat these guys not once but twice but three times you lose to them? Hmm, something's got to give with that. So it was a big phew. It was a big exhale when we're speaking about the Los Angeles Rams getting to the Super Bowl. Now, the pressure's back on them because now more than – ever when you're speaking about these two teams the Los Angeles Rams have to win this Super Bowl for their season to be a success the Cincinnati Bengals could lose this game and for them it would still be a success when you're speaking about the trajectory of the squad when you're thinking about the talent that they have on the squad from the offensive skill position players when you're thinking about where they were last season to what they did this season and where the future looks moving forward win or lose this Super Bowl the Cincinnati Bengals have won before they even won. Now, I hate the nonsense. I hate the narrative where people throw out the old, Cincinnati has nothing to lose. I hate when they do that stuff. Hell yeah, they got something to lose. Cincinnati's in the Super Bowl. Of course they got something to lose. They're going to lose the opportunity to win a Super Bowl, man. Of course that's going to be pressure on them. Of course that should be something that they should be you know, feeling the pressure on. Those guys aren't going to be, if they lose the Super Bowl, those guys aren't going to be, you know, doing the boogaloo and the kid and play and getting down like James Brown after they lose the game because, quote-unquote, we had nothing to play for. This ain't no doggone exhibition game. Come on. This is the Super Bowl, so yes. And you ask some of these used-to-be, should-be, want-to-be, thought-to-be dynasties or teams that should have won Super Bowls, or you, you know, interview some of these old-time players, you interview the Jim Kellys. You interview the Fran Tarkingtons. You interview the, um, you interview those guys, in terms of the Dan Marinos, in terms of you know when we first got to the Super Bowl, that it was a situation where hey, no problem, Dan Marino lost to the 
San Francisco 49ers and Joe Montana up there at the University of uh, Stanford, 38-16 in 1984. And Marino walked off the field saying, that's all right. We'll be back. No big deal. You've got me. We've got Don Shula. They've, we've got me. We've got me. And we've got me. So no problem. I'll have plenty of opportunities to uh, win this game. Fran Tarkington had four opportunities and lost it. Jim Kelly, after losing to the uh, New York Giants, Scott Norwood missing that field goal. That's okay. We're the best team in the uh, AFC so far, by far. We got the K-Gun offense. We got uh, Andre Reid. We've got uh, a strong offensive line. We've got a great play caller. We've got a great backup. We've got a strong defense. We've got Hall of Famers on offense and defense. We've got Thurman Thomas. We've got everything that we need to do. So even though it's horrible, even though I feel awful that we lost this game, there'll be plenty more great opportunities to win a Super Bowl and doggone it. We're going to get it done. What the flip happens? Hmm? So when you speak this nonsense about, oh yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals, they're playing with house money. They have nothing to, uh, they have nothing to fear because they've over, they've already overachieved. So it's no big deal. That's nonsense. And that's bullshit, man. So they need to stop with that narrative right there. So, but I will say this, the future moving forward, and when I say moving forward, four or five years down the road, and four or five years down the road, down the line, who knows, man, but it looks brighter because of the age and everything. But the Cincinnati Bengals, if you were going to project after a five or six year period between the Rams and the Bengals, how many, you know, what's going to be the odds in terms of which franchise is going to be able to make it back to the Super Bowl? And when, and when the Super Bowl, you, you would say the... Cincinnati Bengals, but don't don't give me that nonsense about it's a given, because Kansas City still has something to say about that. Buffalo still has something to say about that. Lamar Jackson and and uh, John Harbaugh and Baltimore still have something to say about that. Mac Jones and New England still has something to say about that. And hell, as I mentioned before, who would have thought the Cincinnati Bengals would be representing the AFC in the championship game? Who says that the New York Jets? Who says that the Jacksonville Jaguars? Who says that the Houston Texans? Who said that the uh, Indianapolis Colts? Who said that the Cleveland Browns? Who says that the Pittsburgh Steelers, when they retool, are not going to be bigger threats? Who might shock the world and play for the Super Bowl? Man, we don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Only the Lord and our Savior knows. So, you know, the this team has nothing to play for. This team has already won narrative. Get it out of here. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But I will say this, getting back to the Los Angeles Rams, they better doggone win this Super Bowl. No excuses. So if you want to quote-unquote put, put on pressure, yeah, the pressure is much greater on Los Angeles because the expectations are greater, which means that, you know what? If Cincinnati loses the Super Bowl, Zach Taylor is not going to get fired. Joe Burrow ain't going to get traded. There's not going to be questions abound about, can these guys get it done? This was a wasted opportunity. They'll never get it done again. When do we start blowing this team up? None of that kind of stuff is going to be happening. If the Los Angeles Rams lose this opportunity to win a Super Bowl against not the Kansas City football team, not the Buffalo Bills, not Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Not, not the Tennessee Titans with a full, fully healthy Derrick Henry. No, 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 no. We're speaking about the Cincinnati Bungles. We're thinking about, we're speaking about the Mike Brown-owned Cincinnati Bengals. 
the now 12 and 7 Cincinnati Bengals, the continuously inept and incompetent laughingstocks Cincinnati Bengals for not just a season or two, but for a decade or two or three. If they can't beat those guys, Cinderella story, Cincinnati Bungles, Bengals, whatever you want to call them, haters, then yeah, I'm going to be really flipping pissed. If the Bengals lose to the Rams, disappointment, but not pissed. On the other side of the spectrum, Los Angeles playing the Bengals and losing to them, I'm pissed. If I'm Stan Kroenke, I'm pissed. If I'm Les Snead, I'm pissed. If I'm Sean McVay, I'm a little bit worried. So that's the that's the deal with that one. Get the job done. So if you're the Rams, you say to yourself, yeah, thank goodness we made the Super Bowl, but our job is far from done. Because we didn't go out and get Odell Beckham Jr. We didn't go out and give away all our draft capital to acquire all of these players like Stafford and Beckham Jr. and Vaughn Miller and Jalen Ramsey and all these guys. We didn't go out and basically forfeit the draft so we can lose in the Super Bowl to the Cincinnati Bengals at home in the Super Bowl. Not happening. The goal for the next two to three years for the Los Angeles Rams is not only to get to the Super Bowl, but to win the Super Bowl. Because you take a look at this conference, the NFC moving forward right now, you name me a team over the next couple of years that should be in the same plane, the same stratosphere, the same level, or even higher than the Los Angeles Rams, especially now with TB12 retiring. And that would no sure thing that even if he did come back, that Tampa Bay would still be at the level that they were the past couple of years. I mean, who are you going to throw out there as true competitors and competition for the Rams and the NFC over the next couple of years? The Dallas Cowboys? The San Francisco 49ers? The Seattle Seahawks? The Green Bay Packers, depending upon what Aaron Rodgers does? I mean, who are we, who are we talking about here? What are we looking at here? What team is going to shock the world and pull a Cincinnati? And for one season, whether it be next season or the season after that is going to be this year's Cincinnati Bengals. The New York Giants? The New Orleans Saints? The Atlanta Falcons? The Detroit Lions? The Chicago Bears? My Washington Nepskins? The Arizona Cardinals? Who's it going to be? So as of right now, looking forward, and as I mentioned before, things change, time change, injury happens, all that, all that type of things. Hubert sets in whatever. But as of right now, the Los Angeles Rams are the best team talent-wise in the NFC. So not only should they win this championship game against the Cincinnati Bengals, no, not the Kansas City football team, not the Tennessee Titans with a fully healthy Derrick Henry and a strong defense, the Cincinnati Bengals. So if they don't win this game, they don't win this opportunity to to, uh, hold up that trophy, that Vince Lombardi, then it's going to be extremely, extremely disappointing. So if you're speaking about, you know, what's at stake in that matter, then yes, you can point to, hey, everything's going to be copacetic with the organization, especially when you're speaking about Mike Brown, how whether you want to call him patient or cheap, whatever. But, uh, you know, no drastic changes are going to be starting to be made in play if the Cincinnati Bengals win the Super Bowl. Can't say that with great uh, certainty if things don't happen in terms of winning that Super Bowl with the um, with the Los Angeles Rams. So, hey, man, 
Good deal with the Los Angeles Rams. Good deal with them getting to the Super Bowl. But uh, <laughs> let me tell you something. The job. Rams fans will tell you this. Les Sneak will tell you this. The players will tell you this. Sean McVay will tell you this. Stan Kroenke will tell you this. Everybody will tell you this. The celebrities who are going to the game. These fair weather fans. They'll all tell you this. The Rams joyous celebration and getting the job done. As Cool Modi said, getting the job done. He ain't got the job done just yet. The Rams don't have the job done just yet. There's still a lot of pressure. and still, There's still a lot to play for. Not just winning a championship, but everything that goes with it. Whether you win or whether you lose. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm so glad that you could come see about me. I'm so glad that you could come see about this podcast. I'm so glad that you could go ahead and come see what I'm talking about. I'm so glad that you could download this podcast. I'm so glad that you could come see about me talk about what is happening in the world of sports. Speak about what's happening in my world. Oh, boy. I'm watching the, um, I'm recording this while I'm watching the Phoenix Suns play the, uh, play the Brooklyn Nets, probably with the little break in the action for the Super Bowl, which is happening in less than two weeks, but this upcoming weekend, there is no football to speak of that, uh, both on my YouTube channel in terms of what I'm putting down, giving my thoughts and opinions, and also what's happening with the, um, with my podcast here, Wendell's World of Sports, that I'm going to be speaking a lot about the uh, NBA. Because, man, I'm watching Kyrie Irving do a thing right now, and it's like, man, why can't this guy just take the shot? I understand it's a personal issue, but if I'm James Harden and Kevin Durant, I mean, what game was that that I saw the Nets play? Oh, if I forgot right now, but they were playing somebody. They were playing with Kyrie, and they weren't playing with James Harden. And, and, and I had the game on mute. So I really didn't get the... No, they were playing at Golden State. That's right, because I was watching the Royal Rumble in between watching the um, watching the game between Golden State and um, Golden State and the, and the Brooklyn Nets. So it was like Kyrie was out there and no James Harden. I wonder if James Harden just said, you know what, let's kind of go ahead and um, I'm going to take a load management game off. And maybe Kyrie can see what it's like for someone of his caliber and his talent to carry a team by himself, kind of like what I do when his punk ass ain't here. So let, 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 let him get a little bit of a taste of what I go through. And maybe that, maybe that will convince him to possibly, maybe, I don't know, get the shot. Now, would it be foolhardy to think that? Of course. But uh, that's what I was thinking, man. It was like, you know what, man, forget this. <laughs> I'm just going to take the day off and let Steph and Clay, you know, combine for like 80 points and, have you guys get blown out, and I can take a look at you and say, yeah, still not going to get the shot, huh? 
Yeah. Still a personal decision, huh? Uh-huh. All right. Whatever. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World and Sports, and also when I do my audio podcast here, Wendell's World of Sports, anywhere where you download your favorite podcast, make sure that you uh, follow, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to with yours truly, bonjour, bonsoir, good morning, good abend, konnichiwa, shalom, all of that good stuff from around the globe, Wendell's World and Sports, speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. So, I was speaking before in the first segment of the podcast, speaking about the Cincinnati Bengals on their way to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1989. And I thought to myself, man, what impact has this game or the fact that Cincinnati is going to the uh, the big dance? What impact has it made on the league in terms of giving hope to teams like the Houston Texans or the Jacksonville Jaguars or my Washington football team or the fan bases of the Cleveland Browns or the New York Jets. Now, recently, Cleveland has had some success. Kevin Stefanski at the helm. Baker Mayfield for now starting the quarterback position. That uh, last uh, season that they made the playoffs and expectations changed. All of a sudden that uh, Cleveland wasn't this, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that nice? They're doing well. Ha, ha, ha. And all this kind of nonsense. Now, moving into the season, this past season, the expectations were a lot different, man. You took Kansas City to the wire in their playoff game. We expect some type of advancement. We expect some type of progression in the move that you make to uh, become true elite contenders for the uh, Super Bowl. They didn't do this this year. So now, unlike the lovable losers of the Cincinnati, of the uh, Cleveland Browns, where it's like, ah, you know, whatever, whatever. Now there's some consequences because now there's some expectations. Now all of a sudden, Kevin Stefanski goes from being coach of the year and fantastic and wonderful to all of a sudden. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's going to be fired or anything like that, but all of a sudden now the pressure is starting to build in terms of, hey man, you know, you had a great first season and second season it was a disappointing one. So the third season is going to be very important in terms of uh, what we think about your job status here and moving forward. I'm not saying again that he's going to be fired or he should be on the hot seat or something like that. But, you know, Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, he has been known to go through a coach or six uh, in the past couple of uh, seasons and so. So, you know, this is not the most patient. This is not the Mike Brown run organization where you can not have that much success and still be able to keep your job. Even though I know y'all are thinking about, y'all thinking about us talking about Marvin Lewis. I'm not talking about Marvin Lewis. Because every time he would lose a playoff game, everybody would be yelling and screaming about how does this guy still have a job when he's 0-7 in the playoffs. Do you remember? Do you remember the Cincinnati Bengals before Marvin Lewis got there? Thank you. The Cincinnati Bengals wouldn't be able to be where they are today if it wasn't for Marvin Lewis. So, hey, stop player hating. Stop coach hating. So, um, yeah, so as I mentioned before, the Cincinnati Bengals going to the playoffs, man, and going to the Super Bowl, it's like it gives a hope to so many downtrodden franchises. Now Cincinnati, with the talent that they have now, hey, man, just like I was talking before last season about 
the Cleveland Browns. That stuff is gone. That nonsense is gone now in terms of, oh, isn't that cute and isn't that wonderful and, oh, they almost made the playoffs and that's wonderful and that's great and the dog pound and all that. No, 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 no. Now with the ballet, uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, Slim. Uh-uh, man, forget that kind of nonsense, man. From Cleveland all the way out to the mistake on the lake, y'all got to do something in terms of getting yourselves as regular contenders. Now, guess what? 10-7 and 7 ain't going to cut it. Guess what? Just having a winning season ain't going to cut it. Guess what? Baker Mayfield being pretty good, average, whatever, ain't going to get it done. Now the expectation have, has risen. Same thing with the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, whether they win or lose this championship, whether they win or lose the Super Bowl, the expectations for the for the Cincinnati Bengals next season, it's going to be much higher. You guys have Joe Burrow. You guys have Jamar Chase. You guys have the experience. You have all this stuff going for you. No more. Uh, we, we, we ain't going to be putting up with no more. Now 17 games. So that we're going to be putting up with any 4-13 and 13 campaigns or 5-12 and 12 campaigns or 3-14 and 14 campaigns. No, 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 no. Now, after getting to the Super Bowl, I don't, in Pittsburgh, looking for a new quarterback, uh, Baltimore, sort of what, in transition. Hey, man, the, the time is right. The Cleveland Browns, we don't know what's going to be happening with them. You are now the, you are now the kings of the NFC North, period. End of discussion. I don't care about injuries. I don't care about anything else. A long season, I don't care about any any of that stuff. Now the expectations are Joe Burrow, you want to be Joe Cool? You performed at this level, we expect you to be near, at, or above moving forward the level that you're at right now. Now the expectations for this team, for the Cincinnati Bengals moving forward, regardless of whether they lose, <coughs> whether they lose the Super Bowl or not, now Joe Burrow, you have elevated yourself to being one of the top Brady's retired. We don't know what's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers. All right. Joe Burrow, you are now you are now expected on a week-to-week basis to be one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the league. Period. End of discussion. Jamar Chase, you are expected to be the number one receiver on a team that's expected to compete for a Super Bowl. That's a lot of expectations for, for cats that young, man. That's a lot of expectations. The Bengals better do something to improve that offensive line. And again, getting back to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, yeah, speaking about the pressure to win that Super Bowl, you better be sacking Joe Burrow like 15, 16 times because the pass protection for the Cincinnati Bengals, as it's shown, even though it improved against Kansas City in that game against Tennessee where they were sacked nine times, kind of went to show you that the pass protection on the offensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals could be... Could be needed an improvement. Could be used for an upgrade. And you're going up in the Super Bowl. You're going up against the Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl with some guy on the defensive line by the name of Aaron Darnold, who last time I checked is uh, not bad. Where you have a pass rusher who still has some gas left in the tank to get to the pass, to get to the quarterback and Von Miller. Yeah, last time I checked the front four, the defensive line for the Los Angeles Rams, pretty good. Pretty good. So that's another reason to say, hey, look, man, if you have Joe Burrow carve y'all ass up with the offensive line that the Cincinnati Bengals have, unacceptable, inexcusable. I keep mentioning Jamar Chase, keep mentioning Joe Burrow. I forgot to mention Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is, is another guy. Look, man, expectations are you need to be moving on as one of the best all-around backs in the game. 
You know, as far as the runner are concerned, you need to be up there with the Derrick Henrys and the Jonathan Taylors and the uh, Nick Chubbs of the world. I'm not saying that you need to be better because the expectations and the responsibilities that the Tennessee Titans put on Derrick Henry and the responsibilities and the impact that Jonathan Taylor needs to have with the Indianapolis Colts is a lot different than what Joe Mixon needs to do for the Cincinnati Bengals. But yet and still, he needs to be that player to where when we're speaking about moving forward now, moving forward, what I'm saying is that, hey, look, man, moving forward, you need to be one of those guys. When we speak about one of the better running backs in the NFL, we need to come to your name very quickly. When we start speaking about now, not starting quarterbacks anymore, we're speaking about elite franchise quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, welcome to the Patrick Mahomes. Welcome to the Josh Allen Club because you are right there. Depending upon what happens, welcome to the Aaron Rodgers Club in terms of being that franchise quarterback that can lead a team to a Super Bowl. Not once, but on multiple occasions. At least get them close on multiple occasions. That's going to be the future. That's going to be the forecast. And you're going to be held, you should be held, to those expectations. It's not It's not being mean. It's not being unfair. If the Cincinnati Bengals next season win or lose the Super Bowl, if the Cincinnati Bengals start next season very slowly, if the Cincinnati Bengals pull out Cleveland Browns, this season in terms of not reaching the expectations, not reaching uh, what they were expected to do. They should be criticized. People should lose their jobs. There should be some shakeups. Should There should be some changes. Now, those things don't equate very well with Mike Brown, but no, the old Cincinnati Bengals, the team that, uh, you know, your father and your son and your grandpappy and your grandmama and your aunt and your uncle and your, and your grandniece and all that, whatever, Nah, man, that's, that, that, that Cincinnati Bengals team is done. And as I mentioned before, man, I take a look. Moving next season, which team, when you're speaking about the downtrodden, which team, when you're speaking about the dysfunctional, which team, when you're speaking about the inept, which team, when you're speaking about the consistently incompetent, inept, dysfunctional, and losing franchises are going to shock the world and pull off something similar to what the Cincinnati Bengals did. Could it be the Detroit Lions, the Dan Campbell all of a sudden going to get the most out of uh, Jared Goff and elevate that team to be better than maybe the Jordan Love-led Green Bay Packers that's still evolving Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears? Maybe, uh, you know, who knows what's going to be happening. Is Jim Harbaugh going to be coaching the Minnesota Vikings? But, you know, we, we, we don't know what's going to be happening with that squad moving forward. Is is the Detroit Lions organization, are they going to be primed to be the Cincinnati Bengals of uh, this season for the 2022 season? What about the Houston Texans? What about the Jacksonville Jaguars? Depending upon who they draft or who they uh, get as a coach, they're going to be drafting high. They should have a franchise generational great quarterback, I believe, still in Trevor Lawrence. They still have a bunch of uh, salary cap. They still live in a state that doesn't have any state income tax. Why not the Jacksonville Jaguars? Sean Khan, the owner, maybe that might be one of the reasons, but didn't we, weren't we saying the same thing about Mike Brown in terms of why the Cincinnati Bengals could never reach the heights that they're at right now because Mike Brown will never let them do that? Well, aren't we saying the same thing about the uh, Jaguars and what their operation is doing right now in the NBA? Didn't we say that about Robert Sarver? And the years of ineptitude and dysfunction and losing 
that permeated the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, Arizona, with that basketball team before they finally drafted Devin Booker and let him mature, before they drafted one of the best young 3 and D guys in the league and Mikkel Bridges, before they used their number one pick on not Luka Dantich or Trey Young, but DeAndre Ayton and made the biggest move of them all as far as getting Chris Paul at the right time with the maturation and elevation of the stature of Devin Booker. James Jones and those guys, Monty Williams, getting them, getting him as a coach. Everything dropped into place for those guys. And all of a sudden, not even Robert Sarver could screw that up. And yes, maybe you could say comparing the success or the quick success or the quick turnaround of a basketball team to a football team is like apples and oranges because there's so many other complexities that go into what makes the turnaround happen for a football team compared to a basketball team or a baseball team or a hockey team or a soccer team or a football team. Yes, I understand all that, but hey man, when you haven't won a championship in like forever, if you're like in your 30s and you're a team or if you're like me and you haven't seen glory days from the Washington football team since 1991, so we're speaking 2001, 2011, 2021, so we're speaking over three decades if you're speaking to a Detroit Lion football fan who hasn't seen success since, I don't know. I mean, how old do you have to be the last time that the Detroit Lions had any type of success? How old do you have to be, like 90 years old or something like that? So do you have any 90-something-year-old football players who are sitting there or 90-year-old Detroit Lion football fans who are sitting around talking about, God damn, I remember when Bobby Lane took the ball down the field and scored the touchdown and then got drunk after the game with Dick Knight train lane. I tell you, the Detroit Lions in 1954, that was the team. They would have beaten the snot out of these young whippersnappers today, God damn it! I mean, are we going to be going that far to find a Detroit Lions fan who can recall fond memories of the Lions winning a championship? Is that going to be the team next year that's going to shock the world and pull a Cincinnati Bengal and become much better than we thought they were going to be? Is it going to be the New York Jets? Lot of um, lot of uh, competition out there. Because looking at it right now, you just say, well, how in the world is that going to happen? For the New York Jets, what, all of a sudden now Zach Wilson is going to make how many leaps? He struggled this season as the starting quarterback when he wasn't injured with the New York Jets. I mean, Joe Burrow gave you something. His first year with the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah, no one thought that the improvement was going to be this great, just like in this junior year between his junior year and his senior year at LSU. We didn't think that he was going to be that great. We didn't think that he was going to make uh, that type of jump, but are we going to be taking a look at that with Zach Wilson? There's a team like the Denver Broncos who just missed the uh, playoffs, fired their coach, Vic Fangio. Maybe the acquisition of some guy named Rogers, maybe out there in Denver that Jake from State Farm can give him the Rogers rate to tell Green Bay to go shove it up their, uh, shove it up their cheeses and have him go out to Denver and pair up with that team and do the same thing that Peyton Manning did for that organization? Is that going to be the situation? Could that be a situation? What about the Carolina Panthers? I mean, what's going to be the situation where Matt Rule, he's sort of a coach that's on the hot seat, similar to uh, Zach Taylor with the Cincinnati Bengals going into this season? Of course, now with the Bengals in the Super Bowl, that seat has cooled considerably, of course. 
But, uh, you know, could Matt Rule be that guy? I don't know who the starting quarterback is. Could Sam Darnold be that guy to shock the world and turn himself into a starting quarterback, a franchise quarterback, a team uh, quarterback that can lead a team to the playoffs and championships and Super Bowls starting next season? Someone's going to. I'm guaranteeing you that right now. Someone who missed the playoffs right now. And I'm not even talking about a team like Seattle. Because we don't know what's going to be happening with Russell Wilson. We don't know what that relationship is going to be about. But you know, there's, going to, there's going to be a team out there somewhere who didn't make the playoffs that are going to shock the world. I'm not even maybe talking about a team like Cleveland who didn't live up to expectations but now are going to get back into the fold after they figure things out. I don't even know if there's going to be something like the Minnesota Vikings. It's going to be one of these downtrodden. There's never You, you can make somewhat of an argument that a team like Seattle, that a team like Minnesota, that a team like Cleveland, uh, you you can make the argument that there might be possibly, maybe, a way that you can uh, see them, you know, having an outstanding year. Going into, as I mentioned before in the first segment, going into this season, the 2021 season, there was no way, no way realistically, that you could have said that, oh yeah, I could definitely see the Cincinnati Bengals doing what they did. So, which team is that going to be? The Jets? There's no way that you could see the Jets ever having a path to doing what the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be doing. But, there might be. Same thing with the Detroit Lions. I mean, crazy as it may sound, same with the Houston Texans. Same with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Cincinnati Bengals had showed us Regardless of history, regardless of ownership, regardless of past failures, regardless of recent failures, you never know. My Washington football brethren, you never know. Yeah, I have a Dan Snyder. I've said that before. As long as that punk, as long as that chump has the ownership of the Washington football team, we are never, we are never going to be considered championship contenders. We're never going to be relevant. We're always going to be a laughing stock. We're always going to be a joke with Daniel Snyder being the owner of the Washington football team. I've said that again and again and again and again. But singing the harmonious, we're never going to make it because this owner sucks song. But just replacing Washington with Cincinnati were plenty of uh, Bengals fans. And look where they're at now. Those who are you know, poo-pooing the uh, the Fords, their ownership with the Detroit Lions, look at the Browns. It can happen. Before that, look at the Bidwells. It can happen. It can happen. I don't see it happening, but please, as a fan of Washington, as a fan of the football team, as a fan of the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, where I was born, where I was bred, and when I die, I'll be Washington, D.C. metropolitan area dead, whether you throw me in a garbage pan, whether you throw me in a, in, in, a, in a trash bin, whether you bury me six feet under, it better be in Silver Spring, Maryland or the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Someone better clean my ass and burn me up and throw my ashes in a, in a landfill in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland or Montgomery County or PG County or somewhere. Till I, de- till I die, that's what I'm all about. So, yeah, man, being a football fan that I am towards this team, can we please get it done? Can miracles happen? Do I believe in miracles? If the U.S. hockey team can get it done, 
The Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl. The Jets, Jaguars, Texans, <laughs> Washington football team, Lions. We believe in miracles. All we need is a miracle. All we need is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to get it done. But hopefully, next in line to shock the world in terms of what the Bengals have did are the Washington football team. Walk walk with me. segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World in Sports. Never you mind if I don't tell strangers passing by. If I don't brag, if I don't brag or boast, click my glass and say a toast. The great, legendary Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. As I mentioned before, the final segment of the podcast, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, those in Western Australia, those in Dubai, those in Paris, those in Germany, those in America, those in Brazil, those in France, those all over the globe. Appreciate it. Thank you so doggone much. I really, really, really appreciate it. Bangladesh, Pakistan, all over the place, man. Really do appreciate this because I'm going to need something to uh, keep me going and keep me motivated and keep me from falling asleep as I'm about to, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about already waking up in about six hours for our work tomorrow, driving an hour and a half up the road. But, you know, I do it I do it to make sure that when we get old and we can't uh, run this world, that uh, I did my part to make sure that uh, these kids don't run it into the damn ground. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Look, man, I'm going to uh, speak just a little bit about the, I don't know, I'm kind of tired of this. I don't know why. I understand why I'm going to do it, but, you know, talk about the lack of minority hires in the NFL, I'm just going to riff. I'm just going to go off the cuff. I really hadn't had an opportunity to dig really deep into um, which coaches were hired for the most part, which jobs are still available. I know coaches were hired uh, for, uh, you know, the Bears and for the Las Vegas Raiders and such. I know that there's been hires and such, but and I also know that there hasn't been any minority hires and I know about the Brian Flores situation going to be suing the NFL because the New York Giants violated the uh, Rooney rule. I'm not going to I'm going to get into all that at a later date. The only reason why it, it's almost like why why do we even I understand again why we bring this up. But man, you know what the shouting and the screaming and the whining and the complaining and all these type of th- stuff which is valid. There's got to be some action. There's got to be some action. There's got to be some consequences. There's got to be something. 
Because every year we just go through the same doggone thing. I can't believe that there's no minority coaches aren't getting hired. Now, that was almost a situation where Eric Bieniemy, I mean, he's almost old news now in terms of him getting a job. I mean, what more does he need to do? What more does the man need to do to get a true interview? What does he need to do? I mean, we've seen these guys, we've seen these organizations, we've seen these general managers just go everywhere but loose in terms of hiring folks. Hiring folks of not color, the same old doggone guys, same old white guys, whether it be young white guys, whether it be middle-aged white guys, whether it be offensive coordinating white guys, whether it be defensive coordinating white guys, whether it be Los Angeles Ram, New England Patriots tree white guys, whatever it is. We know that the common factor is that they're white guys. And, and here's the thing. And here's the thing why I have to kind of just kind of calm down just a little bit on my, I cannot believe that minorities are not getting hired. That will never change in terms of my dis- disgust in the NFL of doing this, in terms of asking the questions, in terms of giving my thoughts and opinions with anger and disdain and bewilderment when it comes to why, why are, aren't black coaches getting the opportunities that they deserve to become coaches. But, but here's the thing. I, I can't take a look at these coaches. And, and for the most part, the folks who are complaining or the folks who are, um, for the folks who are, uh, you know, defending the, the actions of only white males getting hired as head coaches in the NFL. Here's the thing that both of us on both sides of the spectrum, both sides of the argument, we, we don't know. We don't know about these coaches that these guys have hired. I, I have no idea how Brian Dayball is going to do as the coach for the New York Giants. None. I know that he was one hell of an offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. When he had Josh Allen, I know that with Josh Allen that he did a lot of good work and there was a lot of improvement and, and all these type of things. I, I, I know that. But as a head coach, we don't know. We, we have no idea how he's going to do. He could be great. He could be fantastic. He could be a bust. He could be Matt LaFleur or he could be Matt Nagy. We don't know. Same thing with uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh who's being interviewed by the Minnesota Vikings, who's told Michigan, the Michigan recruits, look, if I have an opportunity to take an NFL job, I'm going to take it. And something tells me that Jim Harbaugh is going to take the first NFL job that uh, wants him to be an NFL head coach for the organization. He's pretty much done with college from some of the action that he's taking. Now, Jim Harbaugh has a track record of having success with the San Francisco 49ers getting them to a couple of championship conference championship games in the Super Bowl, becoming very close to winning it, developing quarterbacks, getting the most out of Colin Kaepernick and such. So J- Jim Harbaugh has a pretty strong resume, but in his second go around in the NFL as a head coach, we, we don't know if he's going to be great or we don't know if he's going to be John Gruden we, we, with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. We, we don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you some of these offensive and defensive coordinators. I don't know anything about them in terms of scheme or in terms of their player development or how they work with the media or how they're going to be working with sponsors and local advertisers or how they're going to be dealing with the fan base or how they're going to be dealing with the owner and the general manager or how they're most importantly going to be dealing with the uh, players or who they're, you know, how his acumen is to hire a strong coaching staff position line coaches, quarterback coaches, defensive back coaches, assistant coaches, quality control coaches. I don't, I don't know. We don't know. You know just as much as I do. 
And I don't give a damn. So you can shout and scream. I, I have no idea how these coaches are going to do. Now, history tells us that there's going to be some coaches that are busts. And there's going to be some coaches that are going to be great. We don't know. So so I can't tell you. There's some names as far as the NFL uh, teams, the, the franchises that they've hired. I have no idea in terms of, oh, my goodness gracious, he hired this guy. Are you out of your mind? This guy can't do this or this guy can't do that. The um, what was it? The defensive or the offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. I forgot what job he took. I forgot what job he was hired for, uh, for or what organization that he's working for. I have no idea. I can't tell you in terms of if he's going to be a good head coach or not. I have no idea. But guess what? You can't either. Guess what? Those who are making those decisions, the general manager and such, they have much more intel. They have much more intelligence. They have much more know-how. They have much more experience in making these decisions. Now, I'm not saying that the lack of minorities being hired is based on, uh, you know, these general managers are coming up with the best candidates and and, and this, that, and the other. There, there, there is some reason, and we need to get to the bottom of it. There, there's there's got to be something. There's got to be something in terms of what's going on. Because this is more than just an owner thing. As I mentioned it before, man, there, there's got to be a general manager. There's got to be a president of football operations. There's got to be somebody on that hiring staff that can say, look, owner, if you want to win football games, this is the guy that's going to get it done. If you want to win football games, Brian Flores is the guy that can get it done. If you want to win football games, if you want to win championships, if you want to win Super Bowls, if you want to develop a franchise quarterback, Eric Bieniemy is your guy. Byron Leftwich is your guy. If you want a coach who's going to work well with your uh, team and bring out the best in their team and have strong relationships with their with uh, with the players on your team to where they're going to be running brick walls through the guy through, through uh, for the guy who do everything that he needs to do to win, then you need to hire a Todd Bowles, or you need to hire a Leslie Frazier, or you need to go ahead and get yourself a Jim Caldwell, where the players are going to immensely respect and do their best and try their hardest for. And if you got a coach like that whose scheme is good, then you should have enough skills as being a general manager to be able to put a team around him, draft players, select players, free agency, trade for players, that you can put around this coach implement these players into the scheme, into the philosophy, into the system of what the coach is uh, bringing to the franchise, bringing to the organization, bringing to the locker room, and be able to win. There's got to be more than just white guys who can do something like that. So now we've got Mike Tomlin, who's the only black coach, one of the more successful, one of the more elite, the consistently elite coaches in the NFL. There's got to be more Mike Tomlins out there. And if it wasn't for the Rooney rule, I'm quite sure there's a strong possibility that Mike Tomlin would have never been Mike Tomlin with the opportunity to coach. Because he was brought in by the Pittsburgh Steelers just as an afterthought in terms of uh, you know, getting a real chance to uh, become a head coach. But he was so impressive with the Steelers and some other things fell through that it was kind of like, well, let's go hire this guy. So there's, there's got to be something. And we always speak about, or one of the arguments is the fact that, well, you know, these guys get the practice. That even though they're not going to get hired, or, or even though, you know, that the, the organization already has a strong idea of who they want as the coach, so 
to appease the ruling rule and not get fined and go by the rule that they have to go ahead and interview a coach for someone like a Byron Leftwich or someone like a Raheem Morris, even though he's had coaching experience before. I, I would tell some of these guys who are just starting off in their coaching careers who have aspirations to be head coaches just, just to go there. Just to go there, do your thing, get used to it, get used to the environment, get used to, you know, the process. So when the time comes, when there might be a possibility that you do have a sincere shot of becoming a head coach of an organization, that you have the experience of what the process goes through to where that's not going to be your, that's not going to be your slip up. Because it seems like when it comes to black head coaches, they always seem to kind of move the goalposts. They always seem to uh, have a yeah, but. You know, Eric Bieniemy, you know, Patrick Mahomes swears by the guy. Andy Reid swears by the guy. Well, you know, it's a situation where um, Andy Reid is the one who's calling the plays, and uh, when he was in college or when he was a college coach, Bieniemy uh, ran a foul with the law or something like that. So in interviews, he doesn't come off well. You know who else didn't come off well when he was interviewing for jobs? Tony Dungy. Because Tony Junji would tell the owners or tell the folks who was interviewing him, they, they would t- he would tell them straight out, "Look, I'm not going to be. I'm not this type of guy who's going to be spending 22 hours a day, seven days a week, ten months out of the year in the office. You know, I'm not going to be like Joe Gibbs to set up a cot where I'm just going to be sleeping. I'm not going to be. Uh, I've, I've got other things that I also want to do while I'm coaching. So if you are looking for one of these guys who are going to be a coaching maniac and is going to set his alarm every day at 3.41 like John Gruden on the nose so he can get up and start working again and work 16, 17, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not me. That's not me. So maybe you should go ahead and fire somebody else. That hurt Tony Dungy at the beginning when he was first interviewing for head coaching jobs and also the fact that he didn't fit the profile of what a stereotypical NFL coach looked like and sounded like. Number one, he was black, so right there he didn't look like your typical NFL coach. But also, you know, Tony Dungy wasn't a wasn't a uh, Bill Coward type of guy who would yell and scream and do all this type of nonsense and be vocal and be very vociferous and, you know, expand a lot of energy and be physical with his expressions and his emotion. Tony Dungy wasn't a yeller. He wasn't a Bar- Bill Parcells. He wasn't a, um, I mentioned before, a Bill Coward type. So that also hurt him. Of course, it didn't hurt Bill Belichick, but, you know, as I, get, as I said before, different skin color, different uh, rules in, uh, for that type of thing. So Tony Dungy finally got the opportunity to coach Tampa Bay, a team that was downtrodden. So coaches of high regard were staying away from Tampa Bay at the time. So they hired Tony Dungy and, you saw what he did, and at the end of everything being all said and told, all said and uh, done, Tony Dungy is in the NFL Hall of Fame. So, as I mentioned before, they're, they're always moving the goalposts. Well, you know, um, because we're looking for offensive coordinators, because the game is moving to such, you know, high regard and high demand as far as offenses are concerned, the rules and regulations of pass interference and the defensive holding in the secondary and in the hitting and the targeting and all these type of things, you know, the game is moving toward um, offense. So you have to have the an offensive coordinator because defensive coordinators just aren't uh, able to get it done. Just so happened that the majority of coordinators of color in the NFL were defensive coordinators. So you started seeing, you know, guys like you know, Byron Leftwich and Eric Bieniemy and others 
starts to yeah, start to become offensive coordinators and start to have great success. Well, you know, I mean, this is a situation. Byron Leftwich, he really hadn't had the job that long. And, uh, you know, with uh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady's really the one who's uh, responsible for uh, the Tampa Bay's uh, success on offense. And he's kind of the one that runs the show and, and blah, blah, blah. Despite the fact that, again, that Bruce Arians, the coach, is like, no, that's not really the case. The fact that Byron Leftwich is the one who is in total command of the offensive uh, game plan and call play calling during the game. In fact, he said, you know, with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich, a lot of times I just sit back and just kind of watch from afar, kind of like what Jimmy Johnson did when he had uh, North Turner as his um, offensive coordinator and when he had uh, Dave Wanstead as his defensive coordinator. He would kind of give the direction and let those guys take it from there. So, again, it's a situation where you, you can find any excuse on why on why this black man wasn't hired or not hired. We, we can have all these reasons, but we need to have a little bit more transparency. I would love to hear from the GMs when they're speaking glowingly about these coaches that they just hired and ask and have a person ask the question, you know, you hired or you, um, you interviewed Jim Caldwell for the possession uh, for the position of head coach. What made Brian Dable or anybody else more qualified for this job than Jim Caldwell? We need to go somewhere. We need to do something. Because as I mentioned before, I don't think Robert Kraft, I don't think Jerry Jones, I don't think Jody Allen, I don't think um, Dan Snyder, I don't think that any of these owners are flat-out racist. I don't think these guys walk around the uh, office calling boy and nigger and all this kind of stuff and have this, we need to hire a white coach because white people are are more intelligent than black people. It's just by nature. You know, when you're born and you got uh, a white skin tone, that automatically makes you uh, better than black people. Black people are inferior to white people. We're just more educated. We're just more intelligent. We're just bigger brains, whatever. I, I don't think Robert Kraft and these guys feel that way. I, I, I really don't. I think the main thing for these guys, I think these guys would basically hire the son of Osama bin Laden if they knew that this guy was going to be able to get them to the Super Bowl and maximize on them owning a franchise financially. I, I don't think any of these guys should be held up as, you know, NFL's Martin Luther King or David Dukes. Uh, these guys are all about, you know what, I want to try to win Super Bowls and I want to try to make money. I want to try to make as much money as possible. And if we win a Super Bowl, God bless us. Way to go. Fantastic. So if there was a situation where we could convince some of these owners that, yeah, look, man, if you hire this guy, even though he's a black man, if you hire this guy, this guy by far is the best person for the job. And you will see that he will be winning you championships. If you can convince Robert Kraft, if you can convince Steve Bashani, if you can convince one of the uh, one of Lamar Hunt's kids who owns the uh, Kansas City football team, if you can convince Dan Snyder, if you can convince Jerry Jones, if you can convince uh, Khan down there in Jacksonville, if you can convince, I don't know who's going to Denver Broncos now, but whatever, if you can convince these owners that, yeah, man, this guy is going to be the guy, regardless of skin color, he's going to get you the most money, he's going to be able to put you in a position to sell the most merchandise, your company, your team will be global in terms of its popularity and notoriety these guys aren't going to sit back and say well yeah i can't let that happen because i can't have a nigger running my team i i i truly 
don't think that as far as owners are concerned. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive. I don't know. But there's got to be something. There's got to be something. And I don't know what it is. And I think one of the main things is, is that the majority of folks who really care, the majority of folks who could really have an impact, if they said, you know what, enough, enough of this bullshit. You need to start hiring some black folks or else, you know, there's going to be some real ramifications. The only way if that's going to happen is if the advertisers and the community in which that football team is playing in takes a stand and says, you know what, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to go to the uh, advertisers, which with with uh, advertise with your team, and we're not going to be going to the businesses that advertise with your team. We're not going to be buying the merchandise of your team. We're not going to be going to the games of your teams, and because we're not going to be putting our money down to the businesses that are partners with your team, all of a sudden the advertisers are going to be like, "Hey, man, what the hell's going on here? We're paying a whole bunch of money, and we're getting all this flack. We're getting all this nonsense. We're getting all this negativity." Because you guys can't hire a black coach, man. Hire a black fucking coach. Because I need these guys to uh, buy my product. I don't give a damn if he sucks or not. I don't give a damn what your thoughts and feelings are. Hell, I don't want to have a black guy be the head coach of this football team either. But if it means that uh, we'll get our bottom line back up in terms of how much money we make, hire the nigger. I don't give a fuck. Jeez, man. Just get it done. So unless that happens, and until that happens, nothing's going to happen. Why should the NFL? The NFL is a multi-billion dollar business. The fan base doesn't think that there's a problem with black folks not being hired. The advertisers don't think that there is a problem with black folks not being hired. So why should that change amongst owners or GMs or anybody else in the NFL? If the majority of folks who don't think that there's a problem don't think that there's a problem in terms of minority hiring. Or, or, or they either don't know or basically they don't care. And for white folks, it's everybody. Because black folks, we can shout and scream and do whatever, whatever we want to. But I tell you one thing, two weeks from now on Sunday, we're going to be sitting there watching the Super Bowl. And then when the season starts next year, we're going to be on the red zone or we're going to be having the uh, in, uh, the NFL package or we're going to be uh, doing something in terms of uh, watching the football game with our team's merchandise in terms of wearing a shirt or wearing a hat or wearing a coat or doing something. So... And, and, until that happens, why should the NFL do anything? Why should the NFL recognize there even is a problem? Because there is a problem. But if it's not going, if there's not going to be any consequences, why should the NFL change? I guarantee you, one flipping thing. You can. Jerry Jones might be the biggest bigot and racist that there is. You know what he hates more than hiring niggers in terms of running his uh, his uh, football team. If that's the case, which I don't think it is, but if that's the case, if you want to go there. You know what's the only thing that's worse than having a black man as the head coach of his football team? Advertisers dropping him like a stone and all that money he's making go down the drain and the value of his team go down the drain. That's the only thing that would hurt Jerry Jones even more. But since none of that is happening to the Dallas Cowboys or the Pittsburgh Steelers or the New York Giants or the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins, or the Kansas City football team, or the Seattle Seahawks, or the both LA teams, or the New Orleans Saints, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Chicago Bears, or the Green Bay Packers, and, and every other team that's worth over a billion dollars. Since none of that is happening, then there is no reason for the NFL to do anything. So with the NFL, hey man, for black folks out there and other folks who want to sit there and, you know, shout and scream and you know, call out the problem and Brian Flores and doing what he's doing and all that type of stuff. I applaud you and I'm right there with you. 
But also, let's be realistic and know that for short term, my lifetime, none of this is going to happen. And doesn't matter how much screaming, doesn't matter how much shouting, doesn't matter how much sense we make, doesn't matter how much we call out these owners and GMs and organizations for not hiring a black head coach. It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to make a difference because once these teams get into L.A., well, uh, the Rams are already down there, but once we start Super Bowl week next week, none of this stuff is going to uh, really be a uh, be a head-turner or be an attention-getter. And once the Super Bowl's over and once the draft happens and once free agency happens and once the minutia of football happens and once all the positions are filled, there might be one or two folks along with me shouting and screaming about how horrible and terrible and ridiculous and embarrassing that the best sport in this country can hire a black man to run its uh, football team when 70% of the players are black. That's terrible. That's horrible. That's awful. But uh, that's okay. If I'm an owner like that, that's okay. Shout and scream until the wind. Shout and scream into the wind until the cows come home because I know where you're going to be once training camps open and once preseason happenings and when September rolls around and the games are going to be on. I know exactly where you're going to be. So there you go. All right, I'm out of here. I am done. going to finish watching this Brooklyn and Phoenix game. want to thank you so much for listening to Wendell's World of Sports. That's a special dedication to all you guys. So love, peace, unity, getting together, understanding. Have that conversation, will you please, with someone who might make you a little bit uncomfortable in terms of having that uncomfortable conversation about how you live, about how that person lives, learning, educating yourselves, getting rid of the stereotypes, getting rid of some of the things you didn't know about that person so you could be a much better, more uh, intelligent human being moving forward. That's only going to help you. That's only going to help your kids. That's only going to help your spouses. That's only going to help people around you, which in turn is going to help me. It's going to help my community. It's going to help your community. It's going to help women. It's going to help gays. It's going to help lesbians. It's going to help Arabs. It's going to help Asians. It's going to help Hispanics. It's going to help everybody. So please, let's start with you and let's get it done. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Music. Music.